In the hot seat right now, Neil Jones and Bridget Morton, our political commentators. Uh, yes, it's the final week of the campaign. Uh, let's just have a look at a few things that have um, happened, uh, including the tightening of the polls between the left and right blocks. Uh, repeated polls now showing either side needing Winston Peters' New Zealand First Party in order to form uh, a majority and some of what that has prompted in the latter days of the campaign. But let's begin first with uh, shocking events of the last 24, 48 hours and just talking to Seb Usher earlier from the BBC, we cannot underestimate where this may lead with respect to a prolonged conflict uh, in the heart of the Middle East. And this was the sudden descent into conflict between Hamas and Israel. Nobody, it seems, saw what happened this weekend coming, certainly not on this scale, your observations, please, each of you, on the early statements by government and by opposition politicians here. You know, these are people competing to either stay in or to come into government. And this is an example of exactly what can land on your plate uh, and require immediate response in management. Bridget. Yeah, I think what we saw yesterday was Nanama Hooters, the foreign minister, playing ideology over actually our international relations and our diplomatic um, community, what we needed to actually do. That statement she put out um, earlier with the sort of just deeply concerned at the outbreak of conflict was wildly out of step, I think, with where MFAT's advice would have sat, where most of her fellow government caucus members would have sat, certainly where the national opposition sits on this issue, which also means that there is an out of step with bipartisan approach to foreign policy. You could clearly see that Hipkins having to walk back that statement and issue another one later on that afternoon was a bit of an embarrassment and a distraction from what was happening uh, locally as well. But I think you're seeing those undertones come through. You've seen from Mahuta, you've seen that announcement, quite unusual announcement, I thought, during this election campaign of Labour saying that they would uh, recognise a diplomatic post um, in Palestine. And I think this is what you've seen come through here. I think, you know, you can put all that, your the views on the, what's happening in the Middle East to the side, from a pure New Zealand point of view, we were last out of the blocks of the Five Eyes. We had the most concerning statement. We had multiple international outlets um, putting up headlines saying New Zealand Foreign Minister refuses to condemn that of violence. And well, I think that... that the issue. It avoided the condemnation of the Hamas raid, yeah. right? And I think we also, we previously had, you know, Jacinda Ardern, I think everyone agrees, was a brilliant ambassador for New Zealand on the world stage. To see now that sort of, I think, some of the pathways that she built possibly being undermined by the current foreign minister, I think is quite a dangerous position and to if be we in. Look at that updated statement. She actually updated her own statement seven hours later, uh, saying utterly condemns the terrorist attacks led by Hamas on Israel. Uh, continues to urge restraint from all parties. Earlier she'd called for an immediate cessation of violence. So what was missing that was more clearly articulated by other... Well, I mean, what was clearly missing was actually the horrific nature of those terrorist attacks we saw on Saturday night. I don't think anyone can think that that has possibly justified what happened. Okay. So what happened then was we also were teasing out whether the Prime Minister and his Foreign Minister had actually conversed and conversed early. Yeah, I, I, I would. I think Nanaima Huda's statement was probably a bit short, and it probably did need a bit more, well, a very clear condemnation from the outset of the violence, which was missing. I think we need to be careful not to overanalyse a tweet. It was not the government's official statement; it was an early tweet by the foreign minister. It read to me like someone pulled out the MFAT standard boilerplate Israel-Palestine conflict statement and gave it to her, and she put it up as a tweet. The PM's actual statement, I thought, was good. He condemned the violence. Um, it was in line with what our um, allies and friends around the world were saying. 
But I, I, you know, I think it was a tweet that probably, you know, she put a, should have probably been a bit more careful about. I think this shows, though. Actually, I, I don't agree with you that it was just a tweet because actually. Ironically, a lot of our sort of international diplomacy is actually done through those first initial statements. She was not just sitting at home you know, tweeting. That would have been a, like a discussion that would have happened with officials exactly on every specific word in there. So it's not the same as somebody just throwing something out in a press conference. In our foreign policy, what the foreign minister tweets is a highly, highly manufactured and made sure that it's absolutely oh, precise. Certainly, MFAT is all over anything that a New Zealand government minister puts out in international relations, MFAT is all over. And, and it looked to me like what happened, and I don't know for sure, but it looks to me like what happened is it was New Zealand's standard response to outbreaks so of violence. The, and the I, and I and I think, I, I think Yeah, I think she, she should have probably stepped in and said, actually, we need to recognise here this horrific violence. And I think Who that was would- a misstep. Who are the potential foreign ministers in an incoming government, by the way? And again, this matters because we've been talking about this campaign and numbers and, you know, party votes and who would go with whom and everything else. But in the end, once you are in government, this stuff happens. And boy, it can happen fast and it can happen early, whether it's a pandemic or a terrorist attack on our own territory or the outbreak of a significant conflict that, you know, threatens um, stability. Um, And it's just horrific. Who are the options going forward. For example, whether to be a national act, coalition or national act, New Zealand First Coalition, obviously Mr Peters himself has previous history as a foreign minister, but who else is there with the experience? I mean, I think it's been rumours about Jerry Brownlee because his previous experience and then Judith Collins also put up as a possible rumour. But from my understanding is that Luxon hasn't said anyone has a particular position other than Nicola Willis as finance spokesperson or finance minister. So I think we can't go probably too far to sort of say exactly who would be in that position. I think without a doubt you saw pretty swift response yesterday from National, so it's really clear what their position on this particular conflict um, was. I think also... Whilst, you know, I think this is a really important issue and very important for government, we've got to remember, obviously, we are six days out from an election, and I think about 1% of people say that defence and security is about their top yeah, issue. This, matters. this does matter when you're looking actually not at just an emotional vote, but who you're voting for, right? And that's true of both sides of politics. Labor's lost a lot of senior players and is probably about to lose a bunch more. This is, this is where you've actually got to pull your head back in and say, OK, who can do this job and these multiple demanding challenges? Yeah, and I think in general that's one thing that's kind of been missing from the election campaign, but people may start to think of in the next week, um, certainly after the election once the coalition negotiations start. Um, you know, I think one of the features of the last week actually has been Labour challenging National on are you ready to govern? Are you in a place where you could form a coherent government? And... You know, I, I'm not sure that's the case. I'm not sure that National has managed to show that. You've seen this remarkable thing over the weekend where they've threatened a second election and attacked New Zealand first as their potential partner. Um, Act this morning, Richard Harman's reported as yet again promising a bottom line that they want a referendum on the treaty, which National, National's refused, and Act's threatened to go on the cross benches and vote, you know, vote by vote. Um, I, I think before we even get to who's going to be foreign minister and have these other portfolios, I'm not even sure what a future government looks like, led by National. Well, on the other side, Labour has lost a lot of ministers one way or another. Yeah, and that's... Lost its prime minister. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, 
there, there is an issue about where we are at in the cycle of the development of people senior in their portfolios in some really sensitive portfolios. And that is a risk for Labour is on current polling, they would lose a lot of their new talent that you'd expect in a, in a third term to be coming through to become ministers. So that will be a real worry for Labour, either in government or in opposition. All right, let's look at uh, other stories about, and it seems ever since... Uh, Christopher Luxon put that was it Facebook or Instagram message out or whatever video out two weeks ago what has happened is an extraordinary focus on the New Zealand First leader and New Zealand First and in part that's also because we then had the polls coming in saying this, these votes are going to be required if these polls are replicated it's kind of become the story in some ways and what do you make of how National on the one hand has strategically handled it including this speak to the last 24 hours of a second election. Yeah, I think starting off with that video, Winston, uh, sorry, Luxon was in a very hard place when it came to Winston. They would have known that the polls are likely to show that he was sitting more comfortably above 5%. So regardless of whether he tried to frame the message with that video or whether he left it up to media to sort of frame it, <clears throat> on the back of those polls, I think he would have been answering we would have had the same discussion. When you look at actually what's happened in the polls, is really where you're seeing most of the movement. I mean, there's this stereotypical movement sort of about 3%, within 3% kind of bans for national. Most of the movement is actually happening from ACT going down as opposed to national going down. And I think this is where actually you've seen strategically, I think, ACT not uh, do the smartest thing. They were the ones that actually, I think, over-profiled Winston a little bit in the beginning by you know throwing him out there as such a threat. They also began with the threat of saying we will only give you um, confidence, not supply. That was the start of that conversation yes, absolutely. Actually. And I think that was a misstep and I think Neil just um, you know, spoke about another one which is really setting that really strong bottom line. And That's so, Because if you, look at, well, just if you look at all of the focus group and the research coming out there's two really clear things. People want to change a government and they also want the government, regardless of who it is, to stop talking about themselves and just get on with it. So they want stability. So that's why I think um, I think it's been overhyped by Labour and the opposition, sorry, the opposition and the Greens, to say that this was some sort of meltdown over the weekend okay. because it it wasn't. It was a strategic to say actually this is what it's at risk if you don't vote. The question is how the strategy is going though. Um, two observations: it's not surprising to see New Zealand First rising at X expense. We've been talking all year about them scrapping over similar territory, right? At least in, in part. The question is whether the, the strategy of the of this calling talking about the second election is is seen as panic Look, because the argument is you get in there and you negotiate a deal with what you're given. You don't throw your toys and say no, we can't get there. And you know we've seen some really unusual arrangements come out of those negotiations, right? So, so Labor's core message at the moment around national and their government formation options is that it would be chaotic and they could not get on with their coalition partners and they could not make it work. And National literally put out an ad in the weekend that said, you know, if you vote for New Zealand first, you could end up with eight, eight weeks of coalition negotiations in a second election because we couldn't make it work. Um, if you gave Labour a free ad, that's probably the one they would have run. And I think the way they got to this position is we talked, you know, maybe a month or so ago about Luxon had kind of been pretending he could ignore New Zealand first and saying it was a hypothetical and they weren't over five when they were... I think he had two options. He could have tried to rule them out early on and hope that that would depress their vote. I don't know whether that would have worked. Probably wouldn't have. His alternative was just to be a lot more relaxed a lot earlier on and say, look, my preference is to form a simple two-party majority government with ACT, um, but we'll work with whatever the voters deal us. 
that's been used in the past. It's reasonably casual. I'm not sure what it was about that video last week. Maybe the medium's the message in this case, but whatever they intended to say, the message that voters heard seemed to be, Winston's part of our team now, and you get permission to vote for him. And Winston got momentum off that, and they've had to sort of do this 180 so and start John attacking him. Out as well. Yeah, and, and so I yeah. just I just think it's, it has been mishandled. And whether they think they're being strategic or not, I know they're trying to depress his own first vote, it comes but, but across you know as panic. The that coming back and threatening the second election, um, which is theoretically a possibility, by the way, in any coalition negotiations ever, right? But but coming out and threatening that, that is what is sometimes per- could be perceived as the as the panic, you know? Yeah, but let's just think about, well, what's the alternative there? So say this strategy massively backfires on National and Labour suddenly gets a surge in the polls in this week and, you know, they put within sort of negotiating territory. You get to this place on Saturday where Hipkins has put himself in an impossible position. He can't negotiate as a future Prime Minister with... You know Winston Peters because he has absolutely ruled him out. Well, that's the thing, is right. Bridget, so what, honestly, there will be an excuse. The <laughs> excuse that, was so and so couldn't bring their party. So, so is this the strategy from Labour is that we are going to backtrack? Is that because that appears to be no, the only strategy no. at the moment? Maybe it's a second election after all, and you know that doesn't go well for National. And look, one thing that I, I think is interesting is I think the chance of Labour winning are very small at this point. But what I'm hearing internally is that there is some momentum, the polls are starting to close, and that buyer beware message is starting to work. And it's very unlikely, but you know, Audrey Young had a piece this morning saying if New Zealand first drops below five, Labour picks up three points, that could be a change of government. Again, I'm not saying that's likely. It's a, it's a big shift but, at this but stage. My point, but, but my but, point yeah. is this. This and should have been an unlosable election for National, and they have had a, their, their primary election platform, their tax plan, has been utterly discredited. And they are now they are now in a total mess around around their I coalition think, options. I think, just, I think we just pause on that tax plan thing because first of all, I think just we didn't do declarations at the beginning, but clearly you've got some involvement yep. in some of the messages coming out on the tax plan. I think the second thing is actually we haven't talked about this week. We talk about it almost every week is just how sick of um, actually this campaign most of. The polit- most of the people out there. And it's tabling on two things. One, they are completely on the same page as Neil, that they think there's going to be a National Act government no matter what happens. So they're kind of you know switching off from what actually the messages are out there. So actually this whole thing about the tax plan and being discredited, I think there's actually really not that much evidence You've beyond the press National gallery. Climate. You've not seen National yeah, Exactly. Climate. And the other point is, to be fair, we are in almost unprecedented territory at the size of the smaller parties relative to the bigger parties. And that is what is part of what is hamstringing um, national. It is clearly a head, if you're going head-to-head, which is, as we've been shown so many times, utterly irrelevant in the end. Um, it is a head, but it is not able to, uh, to get there without the smaller party and their parties. My, my point is this. This should have been a stroll to victory for national, and it seems that, for whatever reason... They are struggling. The polls, have, How never, the polls have never suggested that the yeah. whole way through. And they, you've got to think they, they, they had record majority. At, they had 40 at max. There was a short period of time where National Act were there comfortably. A very short period of time. But that has not been the trend of this election cycle. The trend has been the size of the third parties and the frustration of so many voters with the two major parties. For most parties. of the year it has been relatively close, but the meta numbers have... Labor's yeah. had a political gravity they've been defying for a long time. If you look at the economic confidence figures, you look at the right track, wrong track... It was clear that Labour was defined political gravity and started the campaign, their vote collapsed, and that's been basically the story of the campaign until the last two weeks.
I think what has happened has been that readjustment of ACT votes across to New Zealand First, that is the primary shift, um, and Nationals momentum stalling. Okay. Let's look at, uh, well, let's touch on tax briefly. Could you, sorry, I didn't at the start do the disclaimers. I'll do them now. Neil, former Chief of Staff to Labour leader Jacinda Ardern, former Chief of Staff to Andrew Little, Director of Public Affairs firm Capital, who is doing some work for... Uh, my, my firm has a long-running uh, contract with the CTU doing press secretary work. I had no involvement in the story. OK, Bridget Morton, Director with uh, Public and Commercial Law firm Frank Sogilvie, former Senior Ministerial Advisor, previous National-led Government, National Party member, currently volunteering for the party's Deputy Leader and Finance Spokeswoman woman, Nicola, uh, Nicola Willis. Come back to tax, because it was mucky for both sides. Uh, it, 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 there's, there's the constant focus on Nationals' um, fiscal plan in great detail, um, and then the humdinger that did land was that only 3,000 would get their maximum 250 a fortnight of the average families with kids that the campaign highlights. Labor's also got its mixed mixing on its own position on wealth tax. Well, for a start, fruit and veggies, GST is not flown particularly well um, for many voters or certainly for those analysing whether it would be efficacious um, and its own position on the wealth tax. It's had its own MPs out saying, I'm open-minded, we're hoping to change their minds. Yeah. Which one do you want me to tackle first? <laughs> <laughs> Look, on, on the wealth tax thing, I think that is unfortunate. Um, I think you've got a number of MPs who this is the first time they've been under the full glare of a hard election campaign. I think 2020 was you know, kind of on easy mode. Um, I kind of take two positions on this. The first one is I think in principle it's a good thing if if politicians can say, here's my personal view, but you know I'm a member of the party and so I support the policy. Unfortunately, that's not how our politics works, particularly in an election period. There may be Labour MPs who want a wealth tax or a CGT, just like there are some national MPs who don't like abortion or don't believe in climate change. The point is no one wants to hear it. You just need to say the party's position is X and I support it. And that's unfortunately something you've got to do in our political system. And Labor's got itself uh, tied a bit on that. Um, look, on, on the national and the 3, 000, only 3,000 people getting the 250 a week, I don't think this is a, a great deliberate sin of theirs. Um, I think it was a attempt at a bit of tricky marketing. Um, there were times when Luxon forgot to add the up to. I think that was probably an error. But I think probably what's happened here is... You know, people heard 250, and that was what they led with. And when they only bank it. And when, like Michael Collins says they bank yeah, it. And when only 0.18 percent of people, mm. you know, people have used the Briscoes analogy. You know, if Briscoes says 80 percent off, up to 80 percent off, and you go and there's only one thing that's you know up 80 percent off, and you're not eligible for it, and the stock's low, um, you probably feel a bit ripped off. And I think that was the yeah. problem there. I think you've also, though, just going back to what I was talking about a little bit earlier, I actually don't think that there's been that level of engagement in the detail of the tax policies of either of the major parties in this election campaign because people have largely switched off. So really there's this possible sort of backfiring where actually the more times that Labor mentions tax, it actually alerts people to the fact that National actually has a tax you know, cut policy. And I think what was sort of interesting is a stat I heard that about a quarter of a million people had used Nationals' tax calculator. So people had deliberately gone on, found out exactly how much the tax they were actually going to get. And I don't know whether or not that means that they were voting for National or not on that basis. But I think for the people that were actually listening, I think there actually has been a high level of engagement and would have been quite aware of actually how much that meant for them personally. I don't think anyone thought that there was some sort of lolly scramble that suddenly everyone in the country was getting $250 a week. Early voting's been slow compared to 2020. I mean, 2020 was pandemic time, so it may have been odd anyway, although we have had this trend of increasing early voting. One of the theories we had about this year was it would be very high because people were just 
as we've been discussing over it. Maybe plenty of people are sitting and thinking, exactly what do I want to do? Uh, maybe it's indicative of a, of a low turnout. What do you make of it? I think there's um, a GOTV issue for both sides. For Labour, you know, they're not getting motivating people to get out to vote. And on the other side, you've got the expectation that National's getting in, so people are not motivated to actually lock that in or are sort of playing games with their vote, you know, maybe sending them over to Winston Peters, for instance. So I think you'll see this week, you'll see just a massive concentration. And actually, you saw that yesterday from Hipkins being, you know, in a phone bank, making cold calls himself to voters to make sure they get out to vote. It's just all about going to, going to be what that voter turnout it's going to be. Yeah, I think probably it not being a pandemic is a major part of it, but yeah, look, I, I, do, I do think there's probably also a lot of undecideds. Um, this is not the most inspiring election campaign. There's probably a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people myself, just who I know, who have said, I don't know who to vote for, no one's really inspiring me, and so probably you'll have a lot of people make up their minds this week. Okay. Now we focus on the party vote for good reason. It determines the makeup of the parliament. End of. It determines the makeup of the parliament and therefore who's talking to whom about forming a government. But let's talk about the electorates because uh, apart from the extraordinary result of a majority government first time last time for Labour, uh, there was a big swing in electorates that were seldom read. We're now perceiving a fairly big swing back in a good number of electorates. Which ones are on your minds as indicators and, and, and why? To be honest, it's hard to talk about any particular one because I had a look through before I came on and there's more than 20 seats I think Labor's at risk of winning. Uh, losing, sorry. <laughs> Certainly not winning. That would be extraordinary. Um, I, I, I would expect them to lose pretty much every seat they won, they new seat they won in 2020 and probably some they won in 2017. Um, what I'm interested in actually is the Māori seats because I had expected that to... I'd, the Māori parties had quite a big um, you know, bit of momentum this term. I expected the Te Party Māori to get quite a quite a gain there. Looking at the polling that's come out, it's close, but Labour seems to be ahead in all of them. And so it's possible that Te Party Māori holds Wairiki, maybe picks up one or two, but I don't think it's going to be the wipeout that I'd sort of expected it to be. Yeah, I think I'm absolutely right from here. There's just actually so many seats in play this election that it's hard to say that any are particularly pivotal. I think one, obviously, to look at is uh, Tamaki and Simon O'Connor versus Brooke Van Velden, just purely because that has the possibility of ACT picking up a second electorate seat, which hasn't happened for a really long time, maybe ever. I'm not sure, actually. Um, and the other one I just think kind of interesting, because when you think about what happens post-election in terms of resources and be able to build up a party, looking up the sort of east coast of the North Island, you know, the Wairapa seat is definitely, I think, very 50-50 between Kieran McNulty and Mike Butterick there, so that's going to be a tight fight. Um, but then Tuki Tuki and Nate both look at massively at risk for Labour, East Coast, it's really unclear what's going to happen there, but obviously losing Kitty Allen um, has been a massive uh, obstacle for Labour to retain that seat. So if you kind of take out that sort of sort of third almost of the North Island, that's a really hard thing to rebuild from a party and keep that momentum going in a particular area post-election. The other thing I would say is Labour, no one would ever say this in Labour, but I, I imagine they might be quietly hoping they lose a few electorate seats because if they get a low party vote and they win too many electorate seats, there is a risk you really don't get a lot of your new talent off, back in. Off the list. And, yeah. and at current polling, you know, Kieran McAnulty, Andrew Little, David Parker, all out of Parliament. Am I, am well, I, well, so Opera is a case in point. That will be a very interesting race for someone with the profile of Kieran McAnulty, but we also know how angry they are about speed limits and other things. <laughs> I mean, He's been trying to get his own government to change them. And I'm interested in some of the urban seats. We're focusing a lot on the provincial seats, the big swing there. 
Um, but I'm interested in some of the urban seats where there are some contests and some outcomes that might surprise. Yeah, certainly Wellington Central. My friend Ibrahim Oma is running for Labour, taking over from Grant Robertson. You've got Scott Sheeran from National and Timothy Paul from the Greens. You've got a uh, the one, split left vote. Yeah, the one, the, one, the one public poll that's come out showed um, Ibrahim Oma, Scott Sheeran and then Timothy Paul, but all within a few points of each other. Mm. Um, you know, chance for the Greens potentially to pick it up, though they're currently in third. Chance for Scott Sheeran from National to get it because if you split that left vote, um, MP in that seat, there's been Richard Preble, they've been ACT MPs. My money's still on Ibrahimoma, but it would be very interesting Mm. to see on election night. There are a number of them. All right, last thoughts as they go into the last days and hours. Is there still plenty to play for? There's another major TV debate at least, um, and and there are still plenty of votes to be lodged as we sit here today. I think we got to half a million, did we, as of yesterday, lodged. So there's plenty more to go. Last thoughts. Yeah, I think this, if we were to look back on this campaign, it is probably one of the least inspiring campaigns that we have seen, and that's across the board, and I don't blame just our political parties. I actually blame our media a little bit. I think it's become very insular, this particular campaign. Lots of talking about ourselves, not necessarily doing it. One point. (laughs) Answer a damn question and people will talk to you about policy. Just answer a question for once in your lives. But anyway, carry on. (laughs) They tell you the truth and you get in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Um, carry on. So yes, I think if you're reflecting on that, I also think that it's going to be much closer on election night than people are expecting. So therefore, you know, I always encourage people to vote, regardless of how you vote, go and get engaged so that you can't say in a month's time well, you know, they're doing this. You've got a you've got a ability to vote, get out and vote. Look, I tend to agree. Um it is a it has been a pretty uninspiring campaign. Um I think this last week will be very interesting. I think there is a lot at stake this election. There are quite you know, as much as it might seem like a blancmange in the centre, Labour and National and their coalition partners actually have quite diverging views of where New Zealand's going. Um, my, my politics are well known, but I think people should get out and vote, and I think they should just vote for who they believe will be the best and not get too worried about strategic voting. I think um, actually we're better if we just deal the cards to the politicians and you know see what see what comes out. Um, I actually think the post-election negotiations may be far more interesting than the election itself. That's a good chance for that. Thank you very much, Neil Jones. Bridget Morton, much appreciated.